I think the real change is going to be in behaviour when people realise what is and isn't acceptable. You know, what, what would you not say in a public you wouldn't say online? That kind of thing. And that, that's going to take some time. What makes an industry-leading lawyer opt for a commercial practice area in the first place? Is there such a thing as the right route to becoming a commercial lawyer? And what advice do they have for aspiring commercial lawyers? My name's Dwayne Cormell, founder of legal recruitment consultancy Realm Recruit and LegalJobCoach.com. And I'm Rebecca Blundell, a specialist recruiter of commercial lawyers. In this series of podcasts, we'll be chatting with prominent commercial lawyers about the wide range of commercial practice areas, their career journeys, their lives away from work and all things law. This is Refreshing Chats with Commercial Lawyers. Coming up in our first episode in this brand new series, we've got Steve Kunchevich, partner and head of the creative and marketing sector group at BLM. Steve specialises in intellectual property, media and communications related issues, working mainly with the creative, digital, technology and advertising sectors. He is also nationally recognised for his niche specialism in issues involving social media. We caught up with Steve a few weeks back in the midst of lockdown 3.0. So, Steve, our first question, if you could enact one refreshing new law, what could it be? One refreshing new law. Wow. So I I think I'm lucky to work in an area where the law on the one hand changes a lot and on the other hand doesn't change for years and years and years. And I think the biggest thing on the horizon is the regulation of social media, the online harms um, legislation that we're looking at that's designed to make the UK, well, the UK the safest place to be online. So they're coming. They're probably about a year away from now. But the idea is that you twist your Facebooks of the world and then to take more responsibility for stopping and exposing or preventing their users being exposed to harm. And that's, that brings with it free speech challenges. That brings with it a lot of technical implementation challenges. But the idea that we're looking to protect people that way, I think, don't think it's just refreshing. I think it's, you know, it's something that the public is very much behind. I think we were going to ask you about social media in particular, the, I suppose, ever-present issue that is online trolling anyway. So do you think that's the best way to protect people from it through the law? Um, I think we face the problem that all of a sudden, everybody with access to a smartphone is potentially able to broadcast to whoever they want without any filter. And I think it's fair to say there's a bit of a psychological disconnect with what people post and the effect that they realise it has on the person that that receives that message. So Jesse Nelson at, at Little Mix, great example of that, you know, left the band and had to walk off um, social because she couldn't take the abuse anymore. It bring, Like I said, it brings with it a lot of free speech challenges. And I think the real change is going to be in behaviour when people realise what is and isn't acceptable. You know, what, what would you not say in a pub that you wouldn't say online? that kind of thing. And that, that's going to take some time. We, we've seen examples of that over the course of the last 10, 20 years. And it's going to take a while. But certainly when you see education at school level, 
about this kind of issue. We're we're in a better position than we have been in years past. So it's it's going to take a while. It's still very new. You know, it's only 20, 25 years old. And, you know, we, we had a similar kind of debate around content in the 80s around video nasties. That's going to make me sound old, but I am 43. And I, th- I think it just, yeah, it's going to take a while before people get used to what's really acceptable and what would they object to if it was pointed back at them. It's a little bit depressing, do you not think, that we're in a position where we're having to talk about putting in place laws to, to protect people around that thing. Do you, do you not think, you know, almost like what's, what's happened to human decency? But it is a real problem, isn't it? It, it is. But you, I think you've, you've got to remember that if, if this were, and this is a very old-fashioned way of looking at it, but if this were broadcast media or the press, most of the time, that content has to go through an editor. So you see more than one person have some kind of oversight as to what it says and the effect that it might have. And it just gives you that moment to pause. It's built into the process. The problem is, in I think, in the urge for people to feel as if they're staying relevant, engaging the followers however they want to do it, or just spouting whatever comes to mind, there's, there's that sense of immediacy. There isn't that step where they'll stop and think. Now, you see the likes of Twitter and Facebook, in particular Twitter, where you'll retweet someone else's article and it'll prompt you now to say have you actually read this or do you want to have a look at it there's technological things that the platforms can do but maybe they haven't done because they don't want to make it hard for users to engage with them um but we're only at the start of that process yes you could say that it's sad that we need laws to protect us but from this kind of behavior but we need laws to present us protect us from plenty of kinds of behavior you know if we didn't have criminal law then people would be smacking each other up and down the street all the time so it it just i think you know tech in particular outpaces law and outpaces attitudes and it's going to take a while before they converge refreshing chats with commercial lawyers is supported by realm recruit realm was founded in 2015 to offer something different in response to the scattergun approach of some recruiters Realm believe in treating lawyers like people, not candidates, and law firms like valued partners, not just transactional customers. Each of Realm's recruitment consultants are ultra-specialists. Their refreshingly niche approach gives them the perfect platform to help lawyers develop their careers and to assist law firms grow sustainably. Whether you're a hiring manager looking for talented legal personnel or a lawyer looking for an exciting new challenge, Realm are ready to help you. Visit realmrecruit.com for more information. I wanted to, to go back a little bit, Steve, and just find out a bit more about your journey into law. I know it wasn't the most traditional route, um, so I thought it might be helpful to share your story or a condensed version of your story to help other people. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, I did a law degree at Sheffield loved the city, hated the degree, and was convinced I was no good at it. So I wrote a couple of books, which were terrible. And if they were ever published, I'd be sued by everybody I know. Um, I thought I'd try and write a screenplay um, to a film that ended up being way better than I thought it would be. And I quickly realised why they said it was unfilmable. And then came back into law, having failed to break into advertising. And a friend of mine had a criminal practice in Salford and said, well, you, know, you can work for us and you'll get a very low basic. But once you get your police station accreditation, you'll take home a certain amount of what the firm makes on legal aid. And this is when legal aid was still a thing. So I spent a good two years doing legal aid criminal work 
um, going out to police stations at all hours in the morning. I had at one point the record of the firm. I think I did 17 police stations in 48 hours, which, and I drank a lot of coffee that day. But then I was, I was lucky when I did my LPC uh, one day a week at Manchester Met. Um, I was introduced, and I'm really grateful to, I always will be grateful to Manchester Net, to Cobbits when they were still a thing before DWF bought them, and they had a Leeds office, they needed new trainees. So I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. You know, like like an awful lot of lawyers, I owe my, I owe my career to, such as it is, to good luck, just as much as good management, really. And then got to train the commercial firm. Um, spent a year in-house as Boohoo.com's head of legal and then came back into private practice with a lot of really great experience. And ever since then, I've just been lucky to work with some genuinely extraordinary people. And if if this numpty from Rochdale can do comparatively well or earn a living in this industry, then anybody can. You mentioned there about um, your time at Boohoo, and it's something I get asked a lot by candidates about moving in-house. It's not something that we really do at Realm, filling in-house roles. We normally work with law firms, and I personally don't have any experience of working in-house. So I was just interested to know what your experience was and, and why you then moved back into private practice. I had a great experience. The, I, I went to do it to become more commercial because lawyers, especially IP and media lawyers, we, we get used to giving advice in a bubble. And to be part of a fast-moving online retailer at a pivotal stage of its growth, grappling with so many technical issues that, that interested me was the best year's placement you could ever have had, really. And when I came to come back into private practice, I had a whole lot of different perspectives that I think only really help it help when I'm working with clients now. It's it, there's a the, there's a much bigger in-house community than when I first joined Boohoo now. It seems a much bigger constituency within the law society and I sit on the law society council so we have some kind of views on that. But it can be it, it can be a great thing. If you're working for a business whether you've got a huge amount of passion about it, it can be a fantastic move. In my case, I am one of the least fashionable people I know. So there is a, a photo that one of the founders took of me wearing one of their snapbacks with loads and loads of, like, 43-year-old again, ornamentation, just this massive blinged-up hat, and I've still got the picture somewhere. And it was my profile picture around the office for quite a while. But if you, if you want to see how law really works at the sharp end, uh, in-house can be a really good option for an awful lot of people and there's certainly a lot more jobs in the in-house sector than there used to be. And do you think we could um, get that picture and, and put it out when we put the podcast out? Uh, I can certainly see if I can find <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I think it, it's probably still... You see, right, I, Becky, Becky and I are friends anyway, but we're friends on Facebook and Becky lives her best life. You know, she, <laughs> she it's like a reality show on legs and... She and my my output is way more mundane. But if you look on my profile pictures, somewhere is the photo of me wearing that snapback. Okay, I think we'll take that as consent to, to yes, consent in, to use it and put it out. <laughs> and to process my personal bank. Well, oh, anyway, I'm not getting into that. But yeah, it, it's it's. Yeah, I remember the day it happened, and sort of sat there in my suit thinking right okay this is where you've kind of crossed the rubicon and it wasn't long after that that i got to do and this is one of the other best things about being in-house i mean lawyers don't the last time i can't remember the last time i wore a suit because of the pandemic obviously in fact we haven't been in the office but 
I was wearing band t-shirts and jeans with a blazer over the top, thinking that I was one of the natives within a really short space of time. Going back then to your time in house, you made a conscious decision evidently to go back to private practice. Yeah. Why was that? Because I had learned an awful lot and I always wanted to work with creative businesses and had an idea that they were being particularly underserved and lawyers didn't really get them. And there was a lot of work we could do to support the development of one of Manchester's most important business sectors. And the what I got some experience at with Boohoo was working around content campaigns and working around um, sort of wider media issues and came out able to offer that advice with a lot more certainty, with a lot more experience than I had before. And you know, I always, I always wanted to make a partner. It's one of these things that you want to do and I hadn't done it and I felt like if I were I was going to do it under my own name and my own reputation, now is the time to do it really. So that, that's, what, that's what brought me back into private practice. You, you describe your experience in-house almost as akin to kind of a learning curve. You developed yeah. a lot of new skills, which is interesting to hear because I think from a recruitment standpoint at least, a lot of our private practice clients, um, and I'm generalising maybe here, but they look at a CV of someone that's worked in-house and they assume that the person's got comfortable, they're not going to be able to deal with billing targets, you know, that almost their edges have been softened, whereas you paint it as actually a benefit. No, it's a huge benefit. I think to, to go in and understand the practical needs of a business is hugely important. And yes, you talk about billing targets and chargeable hours and so on, but One of the things I tried to introduce when I was in-house was an idea that, well, if I hadn't done this in a certain way, we'd have have had to pay X in legal fees. And I think there's always, not in the position I was in, but I think you you find very often the influence of lawyers at the board table can vary hugely depending upon their personal effectiveness and their communication skills and how they're perceived by the rest of that board. And I think having to manage some of those competing priorities can be a hugely important skill when you, both within the business when you're managing competing priorities of people that you're working with and competing priorities from clients. I'd agree with that actually and I think I I think it depends on the law firm but I think in the main in, in commercial certainly I think if somebody's got in-house experience I think it's it's looked upon really favorably. Oh yeah definitely I, th- I just think they if, if nothing else they can speak the client's language you know they, they've, they've got a the you know the days of lawyers thinking the world those on the living have, have long gone but understanding the real commercial drivers behind the practical impacts of the advice you give takes you know normally maybe 20 years to or maybe at the very least 10 years to get your head around but if you've had a couple of years in house then you'll you'll come out a very very different prospect altogether Refreshing Chats with Commercial Lawyers is supported by LegalJobCoach.com. With traditional legal career advice at university and law school, often having an overemphasis on city and magic circle firms, LegalJobCoach.com tries to tell the other side of the story. It offers insight into what life is like on the high street and with specialist boutiques and at both regional and national firms. It's coaching on everything from CVs to interviews, advice on where to look for a job and where not to, it's a refreshing approach to legal career coaching. Visit LegalJobCoach.com to register for a free account. I wanted to ask you about time management, Steve, because you never failed to amaze me with how much you could fit in 
24-hour <laughs> window. It was absolutely astonishing to me. I'd, I'd be sat eating my breakfast and you'd already have done a, a five live interview and been to a networking event. Um, and I just, I just wonder how you managed to fit in, obviously, a full-time job and everything else around that and still have a life. Well, for one, I, I, you, you ever rate me and you always have done. Um, I have insomnia, so I suppose that helps. But the as, as much as going in-house, I think you have to be involved in other things to make you a more rounded person just as much as you are a lawyer. I mean, Dwayne, for example, does a lot through Pro Manchester. And I sat on Pro Manchester's board for years. And from that, I again got access to a lot of different personalities and learned how to deal with them better you know and so every every lawyer i think should be doing something with with a charity um but i've, I've got a lot of outside interests and it, i think it just it, it, it you know you've got to find a reason to get up and want to do the job in the morning and find reasons to get out of bed in the morning apart from your family and your friends and certainly lockdowns made that very very clear and being able to do a lot of the extracurricular stuff has kind of made up for the gap, I think, in that we're having conversations like this when normally you and I'd be sat across the table and managed to having coffee. We can't do that right now. So again, I just think I just think it rounds you. I just think if 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 all you know is the legal sector and the legal sector bubble, I just think that's that's potentially that, that really limits your room for growth. You mentioned um, charity work then. I know I know you do a lot for charity and have done over the years um, and you're an ambassador for Forever Manchester yeah. you've done some pretty crazy things uh-huh. what, is there one particular thing that you've done for charity that stands out? Uh, there's two I, I haven't done enough for Forever Manchester recently just because it, it's been I think everybody is being asked for money by charities and it is tough out there. Um, and I will be doing more and get the chance to. But the two that I can remember were abseiling down the print works in a Batman onesie. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was no fun. And the other was a 47 second career as a white collar boxer about it would have been three years ago last September. That was a hell of an experience. I mean, it didn't go that I, I made the mistake of I'm, I've got a um, I'm a black belt in karate and I'm learning, hopefully learning to teach karate and thought, well, if you get to a decent standard in martial arts, then surely boxing isn't going to be that tough. How wrong I was. The training was one of the best experiences I've had in years. You know, I did it with a lot of my mates and we all had a great time on the night and go the way I wanted to, but we raised a lot of money and that money will be was very 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 well used by about the most worthy of causes that you can come across in manchester it sounds and, quite the experience <laughs> well, well yeah yeah i mean we we kind of went out to the went out to the you do a ring walk and you the the issue was that me and a couple of my mates who were doing the training didn't know who we'd be matched up against and we just said whatever happens we're not going to fight each other because you told well, you'll get on afterwards, but I'd, I'd rather not be us tearing lumps out of each other. So there were a few of us that didn't meet the guy that we fought until the night. And I'm kind of waiting to see who I'm fighting. And in walks a guy I can only compare to Dolph Lundgren from Rocky Four. Like, I must break you. <laughs> it was him 
as he walks in and everybody looked at me like you're gonna die and we, we did walk out to the ring and my dad was in the audience and my brother-in-law was in the audience who had a lot of people work in the audience so they kind of gave me this this pity look and i, I knew he, he was better than me he was more skilled than me and i just decided not to come back out of the corner but again to, to do the entrance and more importantly to raise the money and we all just moved from uh, S and G to BLM at the time. So to give everybody something to laugh at after a period of you know, a bit of uncertainty while the, while the move was uh, was completed, it was worth it. I'd, I'd do it again. I don't tell my wife, but I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Credit to you for that, because I certainly wouldn't be getting in the ring with a Dolph Lundgren lookalike. <laughs> Neither would I on a, on a normal day, Dwayne. But you know, it's funny how life, uh, free the road life takes you on, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Just moving on to another topic that, that we want to pick your brains on. Uh, we gather you're a wellbeing ambassador at BLM. Yes. Could you share with us your, I, I guess, your kind of key key tips? And I, I'm sure there are lots, but the most important ones that you would share, um, I suppose, with the backdrop that when we're filming this, we're in lockdown 3.0, if you can put it that way. A lot of people will be struggling. So, so what can people be doing to look after their wellbeing? BLM has led from the front on wellbeing for quite a while. We've got uh, mental health first aiders in the team and then we've got wellbeing ambassadors. And we make a point every Monday, Wednesday, Friday to say that we're going to be available just on Teams if anybody wants to dial in and just talk about where they're at, basically. Um, I think if you've ever, an experience I came across a lot was if you've ever suffered from anxiety, lockdown one happens and all of a sudden you say, aha, now you know what it's like because you've got this sense of existential dread that everyone is suddenly feeling at the same time. And it's not just anxiety. Mental health has become such an important issue for so many different businesses. And I think for a long, long time, it was assumed that if you ever raised your mental health as an issue within a law firm, then that's the end of your career. And time really has moved on. There's an awful lot of support available. And I think the the point is we, we're just there if people want to talk so we can signpost them in the right direction. And it, you get to see, not just within the firm, but more widely, you know, people do come out the other side of it, some quicker than others, because the the challenge, I think, with any kind of mental health issue is that it's so unique to the person in question. It's like trying to catch smoke in a bottle. And it, it, it's really difficult. It, it's, it's really tempting to say to people, well, well, this happened to me, when actually that's the worst thing you can do. You can't equate what they're going through to what you've gone through. So it's, it's difficult, and everybody is learning all the time. But I've got a lot out of it. Um, I, you know, I've seen people come through the other side of it and it, it's, it, it's an inspirational thing. It, it's, it's not always an, an easy thing to watch or see. And the best thing you can do is just be a good, a good pair of ears. I think, and let people know you're there, be visible and know that raising a mental health issue is nothing to be ashamed of. I like that part in there about being a good pair of ears. Cause I think actually we get a lot of tips around how to look after our own well-being. Well, actually, I would I would probably say the most important thing is being there for others and, and making it known. I think so. The team of people I, I work with um, the within the commercial advisory business stream, and Be- Becky saw it when she was with us, is pretty extraordinary and does look after each other. You, you, you know, the, there's never a moment where you can't call one of the partners or the partners can't call one of the leadership team to have a chat about where they are and what they're doing and how they're feeling about things. And I think it's easy to get wrapped up in your own issues and, you know, lockdown affects people in an awful lot of different ways. And 
I think more than anything else, you know, there's the ICB campaign recently, time to talk. We've had time to talk there not that long ago. All of a sudden, what we all have the opportunity to do with maybe a little bit more spare time, if you have it, is to engage with people again. You might not be able to do it in person, but finding meaningful engagement, I think, benefits both people on either side of that conversation. Supporters of this podcast, Realm Recruit, are IMA affiliates. IMA is about identifying, modifying and adapting your communication style in order to better connect with others on their wavelength. It's a gateway you move through in order to understand what a person wants, needs and expects and how they manage their emotions. Whilst more than just another online questionnaire, the IMA questionnaire is the starting point. Within just two minutes, you can gain valuable insight about yourself and be introduced to a simple yet powerful way of thinking about the way we connect with others. Visit realmrecruit-ima.com to take the questionnaire. Yeah, you mentioned there about the, the team being a close-knit team, and obviously I was part of that team at one point. Do you feel that you successfully managed to maintain that during lockdown and presumably everyone's still working from home, are they? Yeah, they are. Um, we, I, th- I think so. I mean, the, the, the problem is... It, I think a lot of the novelty's worn off. We can do Zoom quizzes. We can do getting together for a drink on a on a Friday night, you know, over Teams. We we speak to each other a lot. You know, the litigation team in particular. We we meet three times a week by Teams, and we speak to each other all the time. The leadership team meets once a week, and we we all know where everybody is up to. And that's just you know, communication is. The most important thing. I mean, we, you know, we, we all, we are a very, very close knit team. It sucks that we're not all in the same office. It sucks that we can't walk into an office and ask each other a question, or you know, have a rant about something, or whatever else. But that's that's kind of where we are now. But that doesn't mean that, like I said, you can't engage in other ways. And, and I don't think it's just BLM. I think yeah, everybody's kind of over the novelty of the Zoom quiz. You know, everybody's over the novelty of of some of the the initial shiny things in the corner that made lockdown seem that little bit more bearable and we're in lockdown three at the at a, at a fairly miserable time of the year for a lot of people and the, i suppose the big difference now is that there's at least some hope from the vaccines and hope that we might be able to you know hug loved ones that kind of thing pretty soon so i think but i think hope is hope's where you find it and sometimes you have to go looking for it but normally when you do you'll you'll turn it up yeah, I think I think everyone would agree this lockdown three is is by far the worst. Um, weather's awful. I mean, the first lockdown, I spent most of the time sunbathing. Um, so <laughs> we had a hot tub, and it, it was you know it wasn't all that bad. But I think lockdown three is definitely the worst one yet. And for me, I think my my guilty pleasure at the moment is Married at First Sight Australia, and that's the only thing getting me through. So my question to you, Steve, I know you hate all that. Um, what's, what's your guilty pleasure at the moment? What gets you through the day? Guilty pleasure. Um, so I, I say, oh, my God, Becky and I used to laugh very regularly about her fondness for Love Island and my not sharing that fondness. <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. K is a key worker. She works in the finance sector. So Mrs. K gets to go into an office every day and see other people and works incredibly hard works full-time and then comes home with his mum and a wife and everything else and she's the most remarkable amazing person i've met um she comes home and the first thing she wants to watch is married at first sight 
because it literally has no intellectual value at all and it, it, you kind of fall into a rhythm in that I've almost become like you know that I don't want to say my house husband because that's the wrong thing to say but hi darling tea's on the table right we're having tea now, now it's intermarried at first sight and it's kind of become a malignant presence in our house and it's just it it, it stands in the way so we, I've, I've had stuff I've wanted to watch for ages like Queen's Gambit all the kind of things that they say you should be watching on Netflix and there's a lot of stuff on Prime I've just finished watching the Watchmen series and I'm kind of having to fit that in and around Claire's Married at First Sight viewing so which is on every night of the week by the way right? every single night <laughs> week night for an hour and a half you know, it's just, and, and last night, Claire was really tired, came home and sort of burned through two episodes on the trot before she fell asleep. I'm like, well, she feels like she has to catch up with this. And then our best mates have got into it now. So the Facebook chat is, oh, you won't believe this. And I mean, it's all, look, it's all theatre. There's, there's heroes and villains in it like everything else. I just, I think I prefer my heroes and villains to to wear capes or carry a machine gun. I, I can sympathise with you, Steve. So I, I've never been um, one to have like Sky or anything like that. And then I took I took the jump the back end of last year because of all the football. I thought, yeah. you know what, I'm, I'm going to make the most of the opportunity to watch football all the time through these lockdowns by getting Sky. But it's backfired on me big time. Uh, Kardashians is on Series Link. And I mean, there's about 50 episodes of it on a day on whatever channel. Um, and my, my wife's pregnant at the moment. So her excuse when oh, we both finished, thank you very much. My wife's excuse when she, we both finished work is I just need something mind numbing and relaxing for the baby. So let's put Kardashians on. She met my wife. <laughs> That's the thing. But I mean, but I suppose the, the other side of that is I've, I've got a nine year old who's the center of both of our worlds and he is awesome. And the other day, you know, being particularly geeky about it, we knew that the trailer was coming out for Godzilla versus Kong. And we both sat there on the big TV, sort of, and making plans for how we're going to go and see it. And all the films that I am desperate to see that Claire can't be bothered with, I've now got a cinema buddy. So it, it swings and roundabouts. When he's not watching YouTube or playing Animal Crossing or stealing bandwidth in some other way that makes it difficult for me to get what I've got to get done done, it, it, it's, it's her way to get everybody's got to find a way to get through the next little bit and if watching reality TV is what gets you through that I would say I suppose at least Married at First Sight is not as bad as Love Island I'll take that Steve that's as good as it's going to get I think <laughs> As you should. It's but but it is it fascinates me. You know, this is two years old, and it's now become a thing, and it's so popular. Whenever you open up Twitter, everybody's talking about it, and like the heroes and villains are like Shakespearean in their perception. You know, uh, like is it Innes? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. You just everybody you know is talking about it. So that, that's I suppose one of the down the upsides, the downside of social media is you need to keep an ear on the conversation so that at least you can then take part in it. And a lot of that conversation at the minute is married at first sight. You've hinted at a couple of things there, um, but I, I'm going to ask you this question anyway. So in ordinary times, by which I mean pre-COVID, <laughs> post-COVID, non-lockdown, however you want to put it, uh, how do you like to spend your spare time? Uh, I am, uh, well, like I say, training, um, 
any, any other time we'd be um, throwing each other around mats three, four, five times a week. Uh, I miss that terribly. But the the karate dads have a five o'clock Zoom, uh, seven o'clock Zoom call every Friday. So that I think keeps us sane. I'd be at the cinema when the cinema's open again. I'm fascinated that Warner Brothers are going to be releasing, I mean, they did it with Wonder Woman, they're going to be releasing a lot of their big movies this year straight to Sky Store or straight to Prime or straight to you know, home. And I think that's a really fascinating change in the entertainment industry. Um, we'd be at a restaurant, we'd be seeing friends, we'd be seeing family more than anything else. You know, we, we, we've got a really close-knit group of friends. We like to spend time with them. Um, James's best mate happens to be the daughter of our best mates and we don't get to see them. And I think it, it's, it's the little what many people might see as the mundane things that you really, really miss at the moment. And getting back to that, I mean, we're, we're kind of talking at the minute about whether or not we're actually going to be going back to Florida in July. We had to cancel it. I think this is the third time we're going and part of it is so that paul and i can go to galaxy's edge and do star wars for a day and spend silly amounts of our disposable income on having lightsabers built and we we kept it booked because we wanted to have something to look forward to and whether or not that happens i don't know but the idea that we might be able to at least have a holiday in the uk by summer to be able to get out your four walls and, and know that it's safe but i think is really important but also my mum texted me this morning to say that they're going to vaccine next week you know things like that little little things that show that normality maybe or vague normality or whatever the new normal is i hate using that phrase isn't that far away everybody's going to celebrate those i think that's one of the things i found hardest is i'm i'm a planner and i love having stuff to look forward to and the amount of things that i've had to cancel over the past year, it's just, I've, I've kind of given up making any sort of plans at the moment. And I, I think once we can start making plans again with some sort of certainty that they're going to go ahead, I think that'll improve I mean, the, the well-being, won't it? The first movie I can go to, the first restaurant we can book, the first gig I yeah. can go to are going to be amazing. Absolutely amazing. And we've got a lot of concerts that have, have been postponed and that we can't wait to get to. But that was that was how we, we'd like to spend our time. We'd go and we'd have a meal, we'd go watch gig and fall about afterwards. And stuff like, you know, when, when it was it was Claire's birthday, we couldn't even go to a favourite restaurant to celebrate it. It, it. Things like that, you know, minor things. We, we're not in anywhere near as bad a position as an awful lot of people. And there are an awful lot of people ill and dying from a global pandemic so these minor minor things we we absolutely have to keep in perspective and maintaining that perspective is tough sometimes but it, it's about the best thing i think you can do on a lighter note to finish just leading on from your references there to restaurants this is maybe a tenuous link what what's your favorite refreshment Oh, uh, coffee. Uh, I, I, I am fueled by coffee, um, <laughs> uh, but, I, but I know it's bad for you. Um, I have been lucky enough and unfortunate enough in the same measure to fall in with a really amazing set of friends since James started school. And the two guys we knock about, I knock about with most are very much into their beer. 
I, for years and years and years, I would only drink spirits, but they're really into craft beer. And one of the nicest things everyone's done is kind of take little boxes of beer around to each other's house and leave them on doorsteps over lockdown to the point where nobody can figure out what to buy me for Christmas buying beer. So a, a beer of some description has, I think, I think for everybody become a bit more of a, a frequent thing in lockdown, but in the morning, I, I need my first coffee before I can form a coherent sentence. I need my coffee. And that that's a very unhealthy relationship to be in with a beverage. But what sort of yeah. coffee are we talking about? Just anything caffeinated or are you a particular connoisseur? Well, I wish. Um, I'm not sure that adjective could ever be used to describe me. I, we, we, <laughs> have, we have a, we have, it's the most middle class thing in the world. We have a bean to cup coffee maker. Wow. That we they say, wow, it's old now. And we, we it was on Prime Day one day. And Claire, and I, I like coffee. Claire loves her coffee. She goes, well, we'll get that. And every day, the first thing you hear is the the sound of the coffee machine warming up at about half six when she gets up to go to work. And yeah, it's great. And you can make cappuccino and all that kind of stuff. But every now and again, I quite like just an instant coffee which has become referred to as dirty coffee around the house. Like, you know, some supermarket owned brand coffee with a bit of coffee mate in it rather than the frothy milk and a load of sugar. So, but, but it, again, it, it's a refreshment of choice. It's, it's a loaded question because I don't want to, because I don't want to associate alcohol with the law too much because that, that raises other issues. But yeah, it's, but I, th- I think like, like anything else, it's just, it, it gives you, a hint of normality. I mean, Becky will remember we we had a regular coffee run. You know, we had pods in the office. Uh, apart from the fact that I'm not sure Nick G ever put the kettle on for anybody else, although I might be wrong. I might be doing a bit of service there. Um, and one of us would nip out and go to Black Sheep on Dean's Gate and bring a load of coffees back for other people. I think it's a social thing. I think it's more of a totemic thing as well, just as much as it's a drink. That's a very deep question to a, a very deep answer to a very simple question. I must apologise. No, I, I I liked it. There's a lot in there I could get on board with. The craft beer, I also am a big fan of coffee, the social side to it. In fact, in our office, we have um, an annual award ceremony, and I think the most sought award is the brewmaker of the year category. Uh, wait, well, I'm, st- I'm stealing that. When we, when we can get back into the office, if we can encourage something like, I mean, yeah, it, it, I've seen, I've got loads of clients that run awards, and yeah, a, really really great way to keep people engaged and give a bit of a sense of accomplishment it's a great idea so that's our first one done apparently you're uh, all about the reality tv i don't know what what's the phrase he used reality tv on legs reality or something? tv on legs something something like that uh yeah i'm, I'm yeah I do love a bit of reality TV and I get properly sucked in when I start watching something, be it Love Island, Married at First Sight, and they're all on every single night of the week. <laughs> and I can't miss an episode because I'm also an avid fan of the Daily Mail. So if I miss an episode, the Daily Mail will spoil it for me. So I have to keep up to date on whatever it is that I happen to be watching if, at yeah. that time. If ever I've heard a reason to stay on top of it, because the Daily <laughs> Mail is going to spoil it for me otherwise. <laughs> well that's our first one down anyway that was good wasn't it yeah no it was good it was nice to catch up with Steve again as well so obviously haven't seen him for uh well over a year now with with lockdown and and things we haven't had an opportunity to catch up so it was good 
I liked his answer to our first question about how the law basically needs to get its act together and, and catch up yeah. with the technology because it seems that the social media companies aren't as interested in protecting us as we'd maybe like them to be. And so I suppose we've not got much other option, therefore, but for the law to step in. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And I think for a long time, up until recently, and I mean, there's still instances of this happening, I think people kind of saw social media platforms as somewhere where they could literally say whatever they wanted to say you know on a on a social forum and and it's just it's got to the stage now where you know things have got to change because it's it's so serious some of the things that are happening you know you've got Caroline Flack all the media attention that that surrounded her before she took her own life um I think probably had there been stricter laws in place on social media and and what you can and can't say perhaps things could have been different yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You just mentioned Caroline Flack because in the wake of her passing, there was this hashtag be kind movement, wasn't there? Yeah. And, and that lasted all of, what, five minutes before the whole thing just started again. And so I think I would agree that the law definitely needs to step in here and just give it all a bit of a shake-up, really, and protect us a bit more. But, but on a lighter note, I really liked hearing how Steve wasn't always this, you know, really, from the outside anyway, kind of well put together, commercial lawyer specializing in these really interesting areas of law and actually used to just be a police station accredited rep and I say just that's not to downplay that sort of work but it's just so far removed from kind of the way I see him I'd like to see his uh see his screenplay as well he he quickly skimmed over that part he did didn't he yeah he (laughs) quickly skimmed over that but um I, I like that both because I didn't know that about him before but also I think it shows that this traditional route to becoming a solicitor or this traditional route to practicing commercial law that I think a lot of us that have um, studied law think we have to conform to actually isn't necessarily the case, is it? No, no. And I think, it. I mean, like you said, when you're at university and you're studying for your law degree and then, you know, you're told you must be applying for vacation schemes, you must be doing this, you need to have a training contract lined up. And it's it's a lot of pressure, and I think the expectation is is set so high, and obviously the competition at that stage is so fierce because everybody across the country that's studying a law degree is being given the same advice. So the amount of applications that you know, like you say, the Magic Circle firms and those really top tier firms are receiving from graduates is absolutely insane, and it's not the only way to to do it. And in fact, most people I know who are now successful lawyers haven't gone down a traditional route in that sense at all. And what I, I liked even more than that is not only that he's not followed that traduce, traditional route to qualification, but then he's had time in private practice. He's mixed it up by going in-house. He really articulately, I think, put forward the case for doing that to kind of broaden your skill set and experience. And he talked about how he's really benefited from that. And I've got to be honest, I think you know, I think I kind of tried to reference this point I don't think private practices have always looked on people coming from in-house settings quite quite so favourably. I think there's this idea that you move in-house and maybe you get comfortable without chargeable hours targets and that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he really strongly put forward a case for it, making you a better lawyer, if anything. Yeah, I think certainly it would 
it would probably make you more commercially minded and then moving back into private practice after that you've got more of a business mind as opposed to just a legal one and just somebody who can you know build 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 and, and hit targets you've actually got a bit more commercial awareness there which has got to be beneficial yeah. for a law firm yeah you'd think so right I liked his well-being point as well that you need to be a welcomeer. I think that was the phrase he used um, I think he talked about being available for catch-ups at the same time every day or every week. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things I think he said that there's a there's a number of wellbeing ambassadors at BLM and I think they all they all kind of do that for their respective teams and make sure that people can check in with them as and when it's completely confidential and just have a chat. They were doing that before lockdown, so that's probably become even more of a of a thing since the pandemic. But yeah, it is really important to have someone that you can just just have a chat with about nothing in particular or, you know, whatever you want. I know that this podcast is not about Realm. <laughs> it's meant to be about the people that are having <laughs> as guests. But I think why I particularly like that point is because we're all told that, you know, you've got to look after your well-being by doing this, that or the other. But I really buy into this idea that actually you've also got to go out of your way to look after the well-being of your friends and family and colleagues and you know, we try to do things at Realm with that in mind. So it's nice to see that other businesses also take that approach that actually you need to sometimes go out of your way just to make it known to others that you're there, ready, willing and available to chat. Yeah, 100%. Coffee. Is it just me that was slightly taken aback (laughs) thinking that actually these commercial lawyers would all be sipping sort of martinis or something (laughs) i think you've been watching too much tv Dwayne. probably yeah (laughs) i think um i think particularly with steve and i touched on this in the podcast about how he manages to fit so much into a day i remember on one occasion he was i think he was doing a lecture up in north scotland somewhere of an afternoon so he was in the office all day went to do this lecture up in scotland then came back and then went to the premiere of whatever the star latest star wars film was i'm pretty sure it was star wars and um, the midnight screening of that and then i think he just came straight to the office or maybe had an hour's sleep in between so i can fully understand why coffee would be his refreshment of choice yeah that makes a bit more <laughs> sense when you put it in context <laughs> I think that's a wrap. That's our first episode of Refreshing Chats with Commercial Lawyers done. Thank you all for listening. As with all podcasts, we would be really grateful of any likes, reviews that you might leave us. And also, if you enjoy this, not only do we want you to tune into our next episode, but we've also got Refreshing Chats with Family Lawyers, which we put out 10 episodes of last year that you can check out. But as ever, subscribe in all your usual podcast places and hopefully we'll have you back again.